In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Has anybody been watching The Crown, the Netflix series The Crown? Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I must be on the cutting edge of popular culture. Uh, I highly recommend The Crown. It's a Netflix series. It takes place in England with Queen Elizabeth II and uh, Winston Churchill during that time period. And it is excellent, just excellent. In this series, The Crown, Queen Elizabeth II honors Winston and Lady Churchill with a private dinner at the Prime Minister's residence at number 10 Downing Street. The Crown honors Winston by inviting herself to dinner at his home. Because you see it, that's the way it works. You don't invite the crown over to your house. The crown informs you that they are coming to your home and you better be ready because that's how it works. Well, the king of kings and lord of lords, the sovereign of all creation, our Lord Jesus Christ invited himself as the son and word of God to be incarnate into his realm by invitation. Mary accepted that invitation and the divine word and our human nature are combined into one person and Jesus Christ, the God man, enters and dwells with us his own realm. That was the first advent. We are focused today on this first Sunday of Advent on the second advent of Christ, his return. There will come a time when Christ will return to set all things right and in order for his own realm for the good of all of those of us in his realm. And so this first Sunday of Advent always focuses on the return of Christ, which begins with the judgment, the judgment. Well, in the ancient world, especially in Jesus's day, the judgments of the day happened uh, in the open air in front of everyone. And in fact, as modern people, especially in this day and time, the word judgment has such a negative connotation. Uh, young people constantly say, don't judge me, don't judge me, because they don't want anything negative said about themselves, which is bizarre in and itself and will not work for life. But that's not what we're here to talk about. But judgment is not necessarily a negative concept. There can be condemnation in judgment, but judgment is not necessarily negative. Because in Jesus' day and time, if you were a widow and a thief stole some of your chickens, and if the widow knew who did it, she could go before the judge and the judge would summon the, the thief and the judge would determine if there was merit in this case and the judge would vindicate the widow. 
the judge would enact justice for the widow, for, those, for her who had been wronged. And so judgment is a very positive thing for those who need vindication, for those who need salvation. And so Christ is coming again to vindicate and cause justice to take place in each of us and in this world in order to restore it, in order to set it right, in order to recreate it to be the place where God always wanted it to be, a place ruled by his life, love, spirit, and justice. And so when we hear the word judgment, we need to have this positive connotation as well as understanding that it could lead to condemnation. <clears throat> well, let's talk about who the judge is. We all know that Christ is coming. A part of our tradition is that Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. He judges the entire world. Who is this judge? Well, we know who it is. The judge is Christ himself. Who is Christ? Christ is the God-man, fully God, fully human, and one person forever. And so the judge that is returning is God and man in one person. Now, we will not be judged by God who is far away, who doesn't understand our plight as human beings. And we might be able to make a case in saying, how could God understand what it's like to be a human being with all of our frailties, our limitations, our sinfulness, our confusion, all of the ways that human thought and philosophy and law and culture gets all tangled up? How could God know what that is like? But the judge is fully man. Jesus fully experienced human life. He fully experienced birth all the way through adult life until his crucifixion. So we will be judged by someone who has suffered, someone who was misunderstood in his life, someone who was rejected and hated and shunned and the author to the Hebrews says that Christ was tempted in every way as we are, yet did not sin. So Jesus has even faced temptation. So our judge, our king, and our judge who returns to judge knows human life intimately. That's really good news. That's very good news because we need a judge who will judge rightly, who will judge according to truth and goodness. And we can trust that, in fact, our God and our King and our judge, Christ Jesus, will judge rightly and good according to truth and reality. And so we can have confidence, at least, in the judge. Now, when we talk about judgment, we uh, have to admit that it is a rather fearful thing. No one likes to be inspected. No one likes to be scrutinized. 
But the coming judge, in fact, will open up reality and there will be no place to hide. The judgment, in order to enter into this new creation and life without sin and death, has to begin with the unfolding of reality itself by truth. And there will be no place to hide. There will be no manipulations. There will be no loopholes. There will be no appeals. There will be none of the things that we as human beings like to hide behind or shift around or manipulate. It will be the bare opening and revelation of truth itself, what is really real. Now, that's a shuddering thing. That should make us shudder. And as I went on and on about judgment at the 9 o'clock service with mostly younger families, I have to admit there were stunned faces in the congregation because of their age. They had never heard anything about judgment before. And the fact that there is a judge and God is the judge and a judgment is coming and there's no way out of it. We can't vote against it. We can't somehow escape. <laughs> so that was an amazing concept. But this is the truth. This is our Christian faith and tradition. But again, God will judge us through Christ in goodness, with truth. But we need a Savior to withstand this judgment. We have a certain period of time now in this mortal life, says our colleague, to cast away the works of darkness. We want to be ready for this judgment because it's coming whether we like it or not. One of the most uh, popular dreams is the dream where you show up at school and you realize you're having a test that you haven't prepared for. Has anybody ever had that dream? Yeah, most of us have had that dream. You, you show up and you say, oh my gosh, I didn't know. I, I didn't know we were having this test. I have to take a test we haven't prepared for. The good news is, is that Jesus has given us many criteria of the test. Many things that are going to be on the judgment test Jesus has told us about. So it's up to us whether we're going to use our time wisely or foolishly. And part of my job, part of my job as a priest and a rector is to help prepare you for the test. So I'm going to share many things with you all that according to Jesus will be on the test and I'm trying to help get you prepared for the test. I don't want people chasing after me in heaven saying, why didn't you tell me that was going to be on the test? Because I can't say, well, I didn't think you'd really like it very much. I just didn't know whether you would receive it well. Because that's, it's not, my job is the words of Jesus. My job is to share what Jesus has to say. So Jesus is returning and he's not really asking for an invitation. He's returning to judge his realm. He is showing up and we have to be ready. 
But there are signs that we have received the invitation for Jesus to come and be our Lord, to rule in our lives. And these are some of these signs of that we have accepted his invitation. Well, we can do this in a number of ways, but if we just take loving God and loving our neighbor as a structure to mention some of the things that Jesus tells us will be the criteria in our judgment. The first is, is that we are called to love God above all else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, your resources, with everything in your being. God is supposed to be number one at the top of the list over and above any other human commitment. God is, in fact, first. And so repentance is not merely just feeling sorry for a few sins. Repentance is, in fact, turning completely away from everything else that competes with God and God's lordship and the lordship of his son, Lord Jesus, and turning towards God, giving your heart, your time, your gifts, your talent, your resources to God to live for God. And there are many things in this world that can become idols for us. And the definition of an idol, according to Timothy Keller, is, is that it's any good thing in human life that's taken to become an ultimate value. And so career, making money, possessions, political ideologies, UT football, anything can become an idol. I mean, that's funny. I'm, you can, it's, it's, that's supposed to be funny. Anything can become an idol for our hearts. So again, an idol is something that is good and legitimate that's taken to be of ultimate value, where we put God in second place somewhere because that's really what is giving us meaning and fulfillment and giving us some sense of, of the truth. And so repentance is letting go of those things, doing the inventory to see where am I tied up? What really has control of my heart and my mind and my pocketbook and my time. So repentance is turning away from those things, giving God your ultimate allegiance. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will fill in in their proper place. And in fact, that my heavenly father will provide for all those things that fall into their proper place because they're good things of human life. That's the way that Jesus said we should do it. Well, the second thing is in loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it is that we are trusting implicitly ourselves to Christ and his death and his resurrection for our salvation. We are not thinking of ourselves somehow worthy of salvation because of the job that we've done in this life. Because we think, well, I didn't rob so many banks. I didn't rape any people. I'm educated. I got a good job. I live in a nice neighborhood. Therefore, I'm going to be fine at this judgment. It is not going to work that way. Because 
you are mistaken about the presence of sin if you think that somehow your life in those terms is going to put you safely without condemnation. We have to repent of the idols. We have to take on the Lord Jesus Christ as our total Savior. Our own competency and decency, says Timothy Keller, will not cut it. Now, I've said this before, I have no trouble saying that I'm a sinner. Uh, I have sinful thoughts. I have sinful temptations. I still struggle with sin. And I'm happy to be in the sinner's camp. Maybe that's because I grew up in evangelical. I don't know. But I'm happy to claim that because I don't want to fool myself that my salvation lies in my education or even doing a good job as a priest. My salvation is only in the Lord's sacrifice and in his resurrection and his life-giving spirit within me. So those are the ways that we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We repent of the idols. We do not even trust ourselves, and we cling solely to Christ in his grace and love. And in fact, in our baptismal service, it actually says, do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? Meaning Christ's grace and love for our salvation. Well, uh, before we move on, to prepare for this judgment, to prepare for this test, we should, in our prayers every night, confess our sins. Prayer before we go to bed should be our nightly habit, and we should not fall asleep with any unconfessed sin in our minds or hearts. God has given us the ability to confess, the ability to hear his forgiveness and absolution in, in the prayers, in the services, and we should take advantage of that. Well, number two, uh, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus is very clear about some of the things that are going to be on the test. And the first thing is forgiveness. Jesus says, forgive others as you want to be forgiven. He says that clearly. We repeat that every Sunday, every time we say the Lord's Prayer. That's what we say. That's why I try to have these forgiveness seminars, because I want everyone to be free of any unforgiveness in their heart. Jesus said that we must forgive one another. It's going to be on the test. The next thing is that we need to be merciful with one another. We need to be merciful. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy at this judgment. The next is that we should be generous. We should be generous and share what we have with one another. And the last one is, is that we are called to help and serve Christ in the poor. In the blame, in the lie, in the in the blame, uh, in the blind, in the lame, those who are in prison. Do you remember the parable of the last judgment? The parable of the last judgment, the sheep and the goats. What happens? The sheep 
are those who have served and touched Christ in all of those categories, the, the blind, the lame, those who are in prison, those who are thirsty, those who are hungry. And they didn't even know that they were touching Christ by helping those people. They were just doing it because they had loving, merciful hearts. The goats, on the other hand, in this parable of the last judgment, the goats, on the other hand, they didn't help anybody. They didn't do that. They didn't have any love and mercy in their hearts. And so these are the things that Jesus has openly said will be a part of the judgment test. And so we now have the opportunity to reflect on those things during this Advent, to make our confessions, to do our forgiveness work, to think about the things that have a hold of our hearts rather than God and rather than loving our neighbor. We have work to do as we prepare for Christmas, as we prepare to greet this king as a baby. But at this first Sunday of Advent, we are reminded of the great and awesome judgment of the God-man, Jesus Christ. May we be strengthened in this Holy Eucharist to do the work that we need to do to cast away the works of darkness and take on his armor of light. Amen.